checked. Oh, I am good now. All right, well, hi. All right. So one of those uh, receivers automatically turns on when you turn on the power monster, and the other one doesn't. So um, that's what just happened. But anyway, um, get ready for a bath. Uh, I believe this message today is going to give you a, a spiritual bath in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. We all need it. The Bible talks about washing them with the water of the Word. Yes. Uh, it talks about a husband washing his wife with the water of the Word. And we all need that. And, it, and Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. And we need to be washed in the water of the Word. Because the, daily the enemy tries to put us under stuff to make us feel condemned, judged, guilty, and bad. But uh, God has other ways and other plans, amen? So today we're going to look at some things. We started last week talking about how we are a three-part being, just like God. And we are a spirit. We have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and we live inside of a body. You know, many people acknowledge the two parts, body and soul, but not everyone acknowledges three. But the Bible clearly teaches we have three parts. Let me show you this just as a review from last week because it does carry into today. Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We have never seen our spirits before. And if we assume that our spirits is how we feel, that our emotional makeup, like from day to day we feel good, we feel bad, we feel saved, we feel unsaved, we feel dirty, we feel clean, we feel whatever. This stuff, depending on who's preaching what, what you're listening to, what's going on. If you let that be the deciding factor of what your spirit looks like, you're going, to, you're going to miss out on the joys of your salvation. You're not going to fully understand what Christ has already accomplished for you in your born-again, newly recreated spirit that's been recreated in Christ Jesus. We're going to miss it all the time because we're feeling so self-absorbed with our emotions. And emotions are real. I'm not making light of emotions. But they have nothing to do with your spirit. They have to do with your soul. Your mind, will, and emotions, that's part of your soul realm. They have nothing to do with your spirit. For example, let me show you this verse. I didn't share this last week, but Ephesians 4.24. And to put on the new self, created to be like God, and chew righteousness and holiness. Now, how can you understand that verse without understanding spirit, soul, and body? Amen? So, our new born-again spirits were, were created or recreated by God to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy as he is, so are we. That's what your spirit looks like. Amen. Right. Receive the bath already, okay? Receive it, okay? You don't have to be like, what, but I'm not this. But no, no, no. Know who God says you are. You, we don't know probably 10% about our lives. We probably don't even remember 10% about our lives. God knows us inside out, upside down, and backwards. He knows your DNA sequence. He can probably, he can quote it off. It would take him a while because it doesn't, I don't know if it ever ends. It's really long. God knows you. And if he says that your recreated spirit was recreated to be like him, truly righteous and truly holy, that's what your spirit looks like. Amen? As he is, so are we in this world. So today we're going to continue looking at this uh, and just the importance of what we're conscious of. What are we consciously aware of? Are we consciously aware of how I feel from day to day? Are we consciously aware of who God says that we are? Okay, I got a little PowerPoint here. Why don't you put up there for me, please? Um, okay. Very common phrase, very common saying, right? Is this cup half full or is it half empty? And your perspective and how you see some of these things is a, is a difference in how your life's going to be. Let's go to the next one. 
Okay, this is an optical illusion here. We're talking about perspective. The right perspective is that's just a road that you can just walk right over. But if but the person who's the amazing artist made it look like that's a cavern or a sinkhole, just dropped out of nowhere, you could you could really walk right over that, but it looks like you can't. Okay, it's talking about percep perception. All right, next one. Basically, same kind of thing. It's just a road, but it looks like it's something different. All right, next one. What do you see? It's about your perception. What do you see? Do you see a young lady or do you see an old lady? Does anybody see an old lady? All right, anybody? Anybody see a young lady? Okay, go to the next one. Same picture, just a perspective. Upside down, we have an older lady. Okay, the next one. What do you see here? Do you see a face or do you see a guy playing a saxophone? Can you see them both? There's a guy playing a saxophone in black, all right? And then there's, but you see the outline of that, you can see a lady. Did everybody see that? Okay, I think most of you do, if not all of you. All right, how about the next one? What do you see? Liar, liar, pants on fire, all right? Okay, but anyone see anything different? You see a face? Why don't you go to the next one? A little easier to see it now? Same thing, same exact thing, but just a different perspective, okay? Is that the last one? There's one more? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you guys see here? Young lady or an older lady? What do you see? Can you see them both? Because the red can be the lips or the red can be like a necklace. And that makes a difference if it's a young lady or an old lady. Okay. So I think that's the last one. Our perspective, our outlook on life has a lot to do with the amount of joy and peace we experience. How we see things. How we view things. It, our perspective changes everything. We've all been around grumblers, fault finders, complainers that no matter what's going on, they're going to grumble and complain. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too this. It's too that. And they're so busy grumbling and complaining that they never actually take time to actually just enjoy life. Life is going by them when they're waiting for something good to happen. And uh, they might have just had the best day that they've ever had, but then they, they can't fully enjoy it because, knock on wood, they have to brace themselves for this bad thing that must be happening. Because if this happened, all this good stuff, then something bad must be just around the corner. And, you know, some people go through life that way. That's their, inspect that's their perspective. They just knock on wood, expecting the shoe to fall off, something bad to happen. They're always conscious of the potential problem that's going to come their way. But I don't know that that's the perspective God wants us to have. Right. I don't really think that's what I would call faith. Not faith in Jesus, not faith in the Word of God. It may be faith in, our, faith in the fallen world, faith in this and faith in that. But we're called to have faith in Jesus and His Word. Amen? Amen? And that's not the perspective. We can have the half cup, the full the cup half full. You can have it half empty, but how are we going to look at it? Amen? So today I want to look at what are you conscious of? How do you see things in your life? How do you see them? Because how you see, as you, as you see yourself, as you see, so it will be in your life. Yep. Okay? So Romans 3.20 says this. What, we're going to look at what are you conscious of. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin or conscious of our sinful condition. 
So again, the law was put in place to make us conscious of sin. That's why the law was put in place. But since we're no longer under the law, what are we to be conscious of? What should we be conscious of? Okay, ourselves or something else? Go to the next verse, Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshiper, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. Okay, there's a lot of stuff there. I'm going to break it down a little bit. But the law could not make those who approach perfect. If they would have, the, law, the, the, the sacrifices and the offerings would have stopped. Okay, because they would have been perfected. But think about this today in the New Covenant. The offerings and sacrifices have stopped. There was a one-time sacrifice for all time, for all people. So, since the offerings and sacrifices stopped, then according to this verse, we have been purified, we have been perfected, just like it says in Hebrews 10.14, by one sacrifice he has perfected us forever. Now again, if you're going by your emotions, you're going to say, well, I don't feel very perfect, or I don't feel very this. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has to do with your born-again spirit. It has to do with the word of God. That's what faith is. It's believing what God says about you is true, even when you don't feel it. It's holding on to that confession of faith, holding on to the word of God that God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He has a completed, finished work, and it was for you. And as we see it, as we see it, as we're conscious of what he accomplished for you, you're going to partner with that and walk in it so much more. So according to this, verse 2 of chapter 10, for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. The worshiper once purified. So we have been perfected. We've been purified. Again, talking about our spirits. So we should have no more consciousness of sins. All right, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be, have no more consciousness of sins? Does that mean I can just go out and sin anytime I want to and not feel bad about it? No, that is not what this is talking about. Uh, that's not what it means at all. The verse is talking about our sinful, be- is not, is this verse is not talking about our sinful behavior. It's talking about our sinful nature. We have no more consciousness of the sinful nature because the sinful nature has been washed away, cleansed, cut out, circumcised by the hand of Christ. It's no longer there anymore. But if you're still conscious of the old dead man, you're going to live according to the flesh. But if you're conscious of the newly created man in Christ Jesus, if you're conscious of the Spirit of God in you, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, you're going to walk in the things of God. Your perspective is going to change everything about how you feel about yourself, how you love other people, and it's all based on what God said about you is true. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 10.22 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled or cleansed, as another translation says, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me read it again. Let us draw near to who? To God, right? Let us draw near to God with true hearts in partial assurance and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled or cleansed from what? What do you think that might be? Okay, I looked up the word evil here. I can, we're going to have it on the screen for you, this definition. Evil here means hurtful, works-based, bad nature or condition, and comes from the root meaning poor, needy, starving, and begging. 
What do you think that's talking about? Your evil conscience. What do you think it's talking about? Your old man, your old nature, the old sinful nature. I'm not trying to trick you, okay? Don't worry. I'm not trying to trick anybody, embarrass anybody. Our hearts have been cleansed from an evil conscious. They've been cleansed from an evil nature, cleansed from a, a place of spiritual poverty and lack. So we have a full assurance of faith in Christ and in our salvation. Amen. I'm preaching better than your amen, and I'm just telling you that. That's the word of God. I don't care what anybody says. That Thus saith the Lord. That's his word. That's what he did. That's what he did. That's what he accomplished. And we need to be consciously aware of what he did for us. How else are we going to praise him? We don't even know what he did. Well, one day in a sweet by and by, it will all be better, brother. For now, you've got to suck it up. Whatever, buttercup. And it's just not, that's not, not the truth of God's word. We don't need to have a feel sorry for me gospel. We're victorious in Christ. We're victorious. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ lives in me. He made you overcomers and more than overcomers through the blood of Jesus. And we are not consciously aware of what he did on the inside of us because we can't see it. We don't feel it. But in the word of God, it makes it very clear. So what are you conscious of today? The old man or what Christ did in you? In the English language, um, Hebrews 10, 2, which said, no more consciousness of sins. In verse 22 of Hebrews, where it said, sprinkled from an evil conscience, there are two different words. And conscious here means alert and awake, not sleeping. Just checking to make sure everybody is awake right now. Aware of one's surroundings, one owns thoughts and motives, etc. Fully aware or sensitive to something, like you're consciously aware of something. Then there's also conscience, which is the moral code that lived by that you learned through your upbringing, usually your parents or who raised you. But in the original Greek language, those two words are the same. Conscious in the Greek means co-perception, to see completely, or joint knowledge. Hmm. To see completely, co-perception, or joint knowledge. It has two root meanings of union, with, and together, and to see. So you take those words, those root meanings, put them together. It says, to see the union to see with, and to see together. And I'm telling you, that's one of the keys to your confidence in Christ is you have to see there's been a union between you and the Lord. There's now a union. You have to see it. You have to perceive it. You have to be consciously aware of it. If you still see the union with the old man, you're going to be attached to the flesh and you're going to sin a lot. You're going to be unhappy. You're going to be feeling bad about yourself. When you're consciously aware of who you are in Christ and you're now unified with Christ... You're going to be consciously aware of something good. And you're going to, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. We will, um, so what are you conscious of? So remember, we just said, in the Greek, it said, the, see the union to see with and to see together. You have to see yourself with Christ. Not just after you die. See yourself with Christ right now. When you go to Walmart. When you're at the gas station, grocery store, wherever you're going, I am in Christ. Christ is in me. We have been united together forever. Amen. Do you know that? I'm telling you, sometimes we get so intellectual, we're missing out on the gospel truth. So We've got to like figure all No, just believe what he said. You don't have to figure it all out. Believe what he said. He's smarter than you. Bank on it and just rest in the promises of the word of God. Amen. Amen. We can bank on he's better, smarter than us. He knows us. He made us. He is our creator. Amen. You don't have to figure all this out. Romans 7, 4 says this. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law 
to the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Do you see what that's saying? Once again, the law makes us conscious of our sin, like what he talks about there. That's the purpose of the law. But when we're born again, we are not married to the law anymore. When Jesus died, your old spirit died, we died to the law, and now we're free to marry another. Who are we free to marry? The one that was raised from the dead. I don't think it's talking about Lazarus here. Okay? It's talking about Jesus. You're free to marry another, free to enter into another marriage covenant. Not contract, a marriage covenant. And we are now free to be married to Christ, and God wants us to be conscious of the fact that you are now married to Christ. We are, the body of Christ. Not, it's, just, it's not a sexual thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's the body of Christ married to the one new man. We're all new, one new man in Christ. There's been a union. Yeah. A new union. It's special. Look at this from Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Again, this is looking like it's talking about husbands and wives, and it is. But the deeper meaning of this is talking about Christ in the church. And you'll see this. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives and their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So here Paul uses the illustration of husbands and wives being married, how to serve and love each other. But his real point is Christ and the church. How he gave himself for her. Amen. Amen. How he cherishes her and nourishes her. How he sanctified her and cleansed her. Past tense. How he presents her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. How he presents her holy and without blemish. When? Now. Now. Clearly, this can't be talking about our bodies. This must be talking about our spirits because we all have spots, wrinkles, and blemishes. All right? It's not talking about our bodies. He's talking about your spirit now is, is spot-free, wrinkle-free. It's purified, cleansed, married, unified with Christ forever. Amen. Amen. It's what he did. It's what he did. We need to be consciously aware of this union. We need to see the union. And when we see the union, we're going to grow in Christ. Amen. This is a great mystery, Paul said, but he's not, ta- he's not talking so much about husbands and wives, even though that is a big mystery too. <laughs> Let me tell you what. <laughs> We're still trying to figure women out. Women are still trying to figure men out. It's a great mystery. But Paul is talking about Christ in the church. Amen? We have been married to Christ. So when we are married to our spouses, the Bible says the two become one flesh. But when we're married to Christ, the two become one spirit. Amen. I know that sounds like blasphemy, but I'm going to show you in the Word of God. Are you telling me that my spirit and God's spirit are unified together like they're like one? That's exactly what I'm saying. 
And it's not because I feel it, not because I always am perfect to live it, but it's because God said it and God meant it and he can't lie and he tells the truth always and that's what he did and that's what he said is who he is. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. It's just that's how good the gospel message is. You didn't get partially saved. You are perfected forever by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's how powerful his blood is. It's like your sin never even existed before. It's like it didn't even exist before. He justified freely by his grace. That's the power of his living blood for us. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 6.17 says this. And if someone else has another translation of this, you think you know this means something different than I know, come tell me. But uh, I'm just a basic guy that likes to read. And uh, I can't think anything else this could possibly mean. But he who is joined to the Lord, is one spirit with him. Yes. One. Amen. 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 you got to sometimes stir yourself up in the faith of the word of God, that what he said is true. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what God said. Yes. And that's what the truth is. See, so if you remember, uh, the word joined here means to glue together, to cement to fasten together or to cleave. Okay? I think I have a, a slide for that one too. It means to glue together, to cement, to fasten together, or to cleave. If you remember a few weeks ago, Dale sh shared an excellent message on marriage. It was really great. And he shared the definition of cleave means to cut, but also means to join or join together. And praise God, Jesus Christ was cut. He was cut so we can now be joined together and merged together with him. Amen. That's what the truth of his word is. We have now been cemented together, glued together, fastened together, and we need to be consciously aware of this union. Remember, the conscious means to be aware of it, see it. We had to perceive there's been a union. Amen? Amen. The word one here, and it says one spirit, is a singular one to the exclusion of another. The two become one. There's no longer two. Our tendons just dropped in half, you know, when we, the two, become, <laughs> the two become one. We become one with Christ, one spirit with him, okay? Where it's impossible to tell where the other one started and the other one begins. It's so been merged together, like you mix, I don't know, Kool-Aid and water or sugar and water. I don't know what you mix together, but you, it's pretty tough to separate it once you mix them. You can't be separated from the love of Christ anymore. You've been merged together with Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm trying to look at eyes here, see how many people are believing what I'm telling you here. I'm showing you in the Bible, amen? Okay? Our spirits have been merged together with Jesus. And I know it sounds like too good to be true news, but it is the word of God. The gospel means good news, and it's the power of God under your salvation. Your spirit has been merged with Christ, amen? Matthew 19.6 says this, So then they are no longer two, but one flesh, Therefore, when God, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We've been married to Christ, and now nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nobody can pluck you out of his hand. Nobody can make God stop loving you. No one can make you stop loving God. Amen. Amen. Understanding that our spirits and Jesus' spirits have been glued, joined, cemented together, uh, changes everything. And, uh, will change everything in how we see our new nature. Amen? All right, so what are you consciously aware of today? The old man or the new man? You know, most churches you go to, I'm not trying to pick on anybody's church. I don't have one in mind. 
even ones I grew up in, they're talking about the soul realm all the time. They're talking about your, your behavior. Behavior modification. And if you're a good Christian, you'll do this, this, and this, and you won't do this, this, and this. I'm telling you, if you believe right, you're going to do right a lot more than you try to put behavior management systems into 10 steps to this and 12 steps to that. When you know who you are in Christ and what Christ did for you, you're not going to want to go play in a mud puddle when he invites you to a wedding. Amen. He invites you to a banquet and he's a banner over you his love and he's got a feast set before you. Come on, child. Let's walk in the kingdom together. Amen. 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 So the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. You guys remember those verses? I'll read it to you in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Now, you know, I've heard this quoted uh, as a verses used for against inter, interracial marriages, and you know um, what? No, interracial marriages, marriages from different races. I said it right, right? Okay, people black or white or Chinese or white or whatever, they're not mixing races together. I've heard it quoted that way, and even I won't say who quoted it, but <laughs> someone I might be related to uh, quoted this way, and I just said that is not what that says. But that's what they heard grown up teaching. Because when you have a bias against something, you have to use scripture and take it out of context to try to support your bias. That's not what the word of God is teaching here, okay? That's not what it's teaching. Not what it says. It's talking about don't marry someone who's not a believer. It's talking about not getting involved in idol worship too is the context of it. Don't don't fellowship with evil things when you're called to be called to live with Christ. But... um, that's why he said, what does righteous and sin have in common, and what does light and darkness have in common? Okay? So again, that's the context of it, not interracial stuff. It's amazing, though, how far people go to try to take verses out of context to try to make it say something it doesn't say. I mean, when you're in religion, that's what you got to do. But anyway, this verse is talking about marriage and how we should marry a believer. But the concept of unequally yoke comes from Deuteronomy 22.10. Okay, I'm going to read this to you in the King James Version, just because, um, yeah, it's funnier that way. I don't know, maybe. But, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. I used to always laugh at that when I was growing up. I don't know, I was younger. Still kind of think it's funny. I guess you don't know what an ass is. <laughs> it's a donkey. It's a donkey. There's, a, there's some donkeys named Jack, and there's other ones. But, uh, but anyway... Uh, but the ox was a clean animal for the Jews, but the donkey was not a clean animal. And so there was wrong to yoke a clean with an unclean animal, okay? And so today I brought this, well, Joey did, brought this yoke in here for me. I might need help holding this. I'm going to ask John and, and uh, Joey if you come up here and hold this. I'm not, I'm not going to say which one's which in this, this. You guys will have to figure that out. I'm not going to say who's what or what. They're just holding it. That's all they're doing is holding it. But, uh, yeah, I head upside down. So, so weird. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to put the symbolism in yourself, but that's totally unintentional. <laughs> Maybe. But, uh, but anyway, the ox was considered a clean animal, and the donkey was considered an unclean animal. And it says don't yoke them together. It was not something the Bible, God told them not to do. For spiritual reasons, but also other reasons, they have two different natures, don't they? You think of an ox, they're pretty compliant, hardworking, they're pretty easy to train, according to farmers. But a donkey, 
the donkeys are hard-headed, stubborn. They just do what they want to do, just like, ah, this stupid thing. You always see them, like, whacking it and hitting the thing. And there's a reason why he doesn't want us to be unequally yoked. It's the same way it is wrong for believers to be yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, it is wrong to yoke a donkey and an ox. So I want you to think about this verse from a different perspective. Do not be unequally yoked from a different uh, from perspective with God. Okay? We're now yoked together, joined together with God. And no, I'm not yoking. I'm not yoking around. So, yeah, I'm, I'm surely serious. Don't call me Shirley. But um, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, it says, I'm, tr- I'm not, tr- well, maybe, I don't know. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So not only are we, uh, are we yoked with a believing spouse, but Jesus now invites us to be yoked together with him. What does that imply? Who wrote the verse, don't be unequally yoked? Who said that, don't yoke an oxen and a donkey together? Who wrote that? Because who, 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 thinking of it, again, the oxen is clean, the donkey is unclean. So many people go through life thinking they're unclean. They can't possibly yoke with Christ. They can't have this union with Christ. Uh, when I get to heaven, then everything's going to be fixed then. No, it's a finished work of Christ on the cross already. You, he invited you to be yoked with him because he already cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He already purified your nature, gave you a brand new born-again spirit, and now you can be yoked with Christ together in there, and it's not unequally yoked. Right. Amen? Yeah. It's not unequally yoked. That's a big thing. So, praise God, he did special work. He removed the heart of stone. He removed the old nature and gave us a new nature, washed cleansed and perfected forever and that new nature can be yoked with him forever amen Amen. this message doesn't fit well with people that teach you're a measly worm you're just an old sinner you're just a nasty good for nothing whatever because they sinners are considered unclean and how can the unclean be yoked with the clean but in order for you to be yoked with the clean, God had to clean you first. And once he cleaned you, then he yoked you together with him. And now the two are both clean, and you're yoked together with Christ, going through and plowing the ground of the harvest for the Lord. Wow. Yes. Amen. Good. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit this insecure gospel message that you're, you're a loser, you're no good, is not the gospel of Jesus. He cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He purified you, perfected you forever so you can walk with him. It's the gospel truth, amen? That's what he said. If if we were still sinners, how could righteousness, what does righteousness have in common with sin? What does light have to do with darkness? What does clean have to do with uh, unclean? But praise God, he fixed that problem. He fixed it. And we need to be conscious of the union. We need to be conscious of the cleansing. We need to be conscious of who we are now in Christ. You guys can uh, put that down. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. I'm going to read you a story here in closing. Um, Starts with once upon a time. (laughs) Once upon a time, there lived a very wise and wealthy man. He was known throughout the land for his huge portions of property that he owned and farmed. It seemed that every year he he was opening up new areas for planting and hiring new hands to work work the plows. He owned hundreds of teams of oxen for work to work his land, which stretched farther than a person could walk in a week. 
Even though he had many oxen, he took pleasure in going to the local auctions and purchasing new ones. He would say, I'm, I'm always in need of a few good more oxen. As it was that the master took one of his young servants along with him to, to the cattle auction one day. He and the servant spent a leisurely day looking at every single animal that had been uh, bought that week. When the time finally came to make a bid for the desired animals, the young servant fell felt he had uh, pretty much figured out which beast the master was going to buy. There were, about, there were many fine, young, and strong animals at the auction that day. Any of them would be a good collection to the master's teams. As the animals were brought in one at a time and bid upon, the servant began to, to, uh, to be confused. Nearly all the good oxen had come through, and yet his master had not made one bid on any of them. Then the, then the less desire, desirable animals began to be brought through. Suddenly the master turned to his servant and asked, What do you think of that one? He pointed to a particularly uninspiring animal. As the young servant watched for a moment, he could see that the poor ox uh, favored one side. It was all the, all the handler could do to make it walk in a mostly straight line. He told the master as much, Master, far be it for me to judge your wisdom, but if you put that ox in front of the plow, your furrows will go nowhere. Your fields will be plowed in great big circles. The master merely looked at his servant thoughtfully, then proceeded to buy the animal anyway. A short while later, the master took interest in another weak ox. Even uh, to this one, even to an untrained eye, the, ser the servant was, it was obvious that this animal had been severely abused. It was weak and lifeless, unfit to drag its tail, much less the plow. It could barely even hold up its own head. The servant was speechless. He merely sat there shaking his head in disbelief as once again the master made a bid and bought this ox. The auction ended and the two men loaded up the oxen and headed home. The servant, still in shock with the oxen his master selected, sheepishly said, Should I pair these two up and get them working on a new section of land? No, the master replied. They will each spend the first day yoked to my prize ox. We will give them a good piece of ground to work. But master, the servant said in a stunned voice, Surely you should get, um, you get more done if you leave your best oxen yoked to each other. Any old cow would work better than these sorry beasts. Just, as, just do as I say and you will see, was the response of his master. After some time, everything was set up and the master had, as, as the master had asked, his prize ox was brought out and hitched to the first beast with the finest yoke money could buy. His servant expected the, the new ox to favor its side as it had in the auction, so he braced himself to pull the, thing, to pull the ox back in line. With the first couple of steps, his fears proved right. The new one was nudging into the prize ox. He turned to look at the master. Surely now he would stop this. The master merely uh, waved at him and said, keep going. In a few short moments, the servant's concerns began to turn into wonder. To his amazement, the more the two walked together, the straighter the lines got. By the end of the morning, the new ox didn't even favor his side anymore. He walked as straight and as proud as his prized ox. When they stopped for a break, the servant asked the master, How can this be? And the master came over and said, Look here. Do you see these marks upon the neck and shoulders, especially on the side it used to favor? These were left by the previous yoke the animal wore. It was crude and rough. It did not fit well. It ended up pulling this animal off course until it became a habit. 
The yoke we now have on it is much better, much lighter, and it does not pull. It was then only a simple matter of letting my prize ox teach this one the straight path. Amazingly, the servant replied, what about this other ox? He can't even hold up his own head. Again, the master said, look at the marks. The yoke it once bore was far too heavy. It was more of a burden than it could handle in a given day. Yoke him with my prize ox and you will see what happens to him. The second ox was then placed in the best yoke with the prized animal and the two started up. For the first few minutes, it, took as it, it looked as if only the prized ox was doing any work. It was all that the other could do to keep up. But then as time continued to stretch on, once again something wonderful began to happen. Minute by minute, the weaker ox seemed to brighten up. Its head got higher little by little, and little by little the pace picked up, and the new ox seemed to gain new life and vigor. If the servant didn't know any better, he would have thought that the prized ox had given some of his strength to the other ox. While earlier that day uh, he had seen only two pathetic and sorry beasts, he now saw how wise his master had been in buying them. They became very valuable to the master. Who are you yoked with? The prized ox? The prized Jesus? Yeah, on your own, that old yoke of the law was heavy, and, it, and our sin nature was heavy, causing us to be bent a certain way, hard to walk this straight and narrow path as we kept being bent a certain way. But when that old uh, yoke was taken off our neck and destroyed because of the anointing, and the anointed one, amen, right. and we burned like Elijah burned his, uh, his yokes, destroyed, we've now been yoked together with Christ, and he helps keep us straight. And not just keep us straight, he's, he, he makes us more confident to walk with him with our heads held high, knowing who we are with Christ. Amen. Amen. Matthew said, said this again, take my, Jesus said it in Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's your mind, will, emotions. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we have been united with Christ. We've been joined with him, cemented with him, fastened together, glued together. We have been equally yoked in this yoke, not a bondage, but a fellowship and relationship and oneness. Amen. And now yoked together with the prized Savior, he'll teach us how to walk in this straight way that he wants us to walk in. Amen. Amen. Today, we need to see the union with the new man and not the union with the old man. The old man is dead. The old man is gone. It was crucified with him, buried with him. Now we've been raised to newness of life. And we need to see the union together so we can walk in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, this message is a, is a message, but it's one you have to put into practice. If you still identify with the old man, you're going to have, you're, like the perspective pictures we saw, you're going to be missing out on some of the joy and the peace and the communion and the fellowship you can have with God. Thinking like, well, I guess I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not this. I'm not. No. Come boldly to the throne of grace because he made access for you. He made a way for you. You're already yoked together. Your spirits have already become one. And just because you don't feel it, just because you don't sense his presence from one day to another sometimes, doesn't mean the truth is not still the truth. Start confessing the word over your life. And you'll, your feelings will change just like they do every day, all day long when something goes up and down with glimmers of hope and then not hope and whatever happens in our emotions. It will change because our spirit is what's going to live forever. Yes. Yes. Amen. 
Our spirits have been made perfect by Jesus. Amen. So if you want to stand, I'd like to pray for you. You might have felt like you were the, one of those ox, you know, that were worthless, that no one else even put a bid in on, that nobody saw the value in you, nobody saw good in you, that's like, ah, what does it matter, what does it matter, nobody cares about me, but the master, when he looked down and saw you, he saw those bruises, he saw those marks on your neck from that heavy yoke. He saw the family issues. He saw the struggles. He saw the challenges. He saw all those things. That, I love that one right there. I love that one. And he purchased us with a price. You bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? And now, because of grace, we've been yoked together with him. It's absolutely amazing. God, I just bless your children right now. And I thank you, Lord, what God has joined together, no one can separate. No one can separate us from the love of God. No one can separate us from the love of God. No one can separate us from the love of God. We have been merged together, joined together, cemented and glued together forever, yoked together in the family of God, one spirit with you. I thank you, Lord, because of that perspective, because of that change, everything in our life changes. Peace comes. Joy comes. Perfectionism can go. And we can walk in a straight and narrow path so much easier than we ever could try to do before. God, I bless your children today. I pray this be more than a message, but a lifestyle that we, be, we would become consciously aware of the union and walk in it. I just thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name.